When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Big Tilt. I'm your host today at I'm your host today, Cody Carpentier. You can find me on Twitter at Carpentier NFL. And with me, actually, I'm with him this week. Is my man Josh Larkey. You can find him on Twitter at Jlarkey Tweets. Today we're talking about Super Wild Card Weekend. All the best games this weekend. Six card slate. You can find everything you need on the DFS Dominator on PlayerProfiler.com. Go check that out, Josh. Let's get chatting. How you doing? I'm doing well. Been looking forward to this. I I know we've talked about how we're going to have more and more airtime in 2022. Riffing back and forth. This is a good little intro. We're in January. We're already getting started. Build a little chemistry. Here we go. Here we go. And before we dive into the six games, just to let everyone know, in case you didn't know, we are sponsored by Underdog Fantasy. I bet you knew. And you still have time. Because the games don't start until tomorrow around midday. Make sure to get into those NFL playoff best ball drafts. The gauntlet is $25. The big mitten is $250. I think I'm at like 85 drafts across all the different mittens in the gauntlet right now. So I, I would have liked to do a few more, but you know, it gets busy. Got to let everyone else get their, get their drafts in as well. But it's been a ton of fun stacking up. I mean, if you like to stack... No better place than when there's so few teams to uh, pick players from. Grab one or two quarterbacks, stack them up. It's a good time. So you've been drafting in all of these. I've been in a couple of them. I know we were looking at the big mitten. We're looking at the gauntlet. Are you going to be jumping into the gauntlet anymore this weekend? Or are you are you pretty capped out on that? Do you think it's worth jumping in for the listeners? Um, what's, what's, what's your favorite tactic, I should say, quickly? Uh, before we jump into these games, what's your favorite tactic for the gauntlet? Like, are you are you are you going front loaded, or are you going to the back end taking these eagles in the late rounds? What's your what's your quick uh, quick fire strategy? So what I like to do is I like to generally most of my drafts I play it pretty chalk. I let the board fall to me. Some of my favorite teams to stack are the the Buccaneers, the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Bills. I think those four teams. Uh, just if you look at the playoff seating and how things can play out, all four can make a really deep playoff run, and they all play in Wild Card Weekend. Yes, the Packers look filthy. They they could very well go to the Super Bowl. However, if you're stacking Packers and you have four players on the Packers, you're in trouble in round one. Where next thing you know, what do you have? Six players when everyone else has ten. So that's kind of those are like my core four. And then when I like to get contrarian. It's the Eagles and the the Raiders. Nobody wants to draft those teams. And it's 
it's not like I think these teams are going to go anywhere necessarily in the playoffs. I don't think they're Super Bowl contenders. But you look at the Super Bowl odds and they get a couple percent chance of winning the Super Bowl. And when there's tens of thousands of entrants in these tournaments and literally no one is stacking those teams, it's actually pretty plus EV to just throw them in and say, you know what? Every every now and then, maybe once a decade, there's that team that just kind of squirts through and you're like, wow, this is a terrible team. How are they advancing so far? Lightning in a bottle. I mean, think about a few years ago, we had the Eagles with a backup quarterback win the Super Bowl. Crazy stuff can happen. So I like to get a little contrarian sometimes, throw those in the mix, but mostly I'm going chalk, just stacking up those four teams whenever possible that I know have really good offenses and soft early schedules for the playoffs. I like it. I like it. You just talked about the Raiders. Let's talk about that game. Raiders at Cincinnati Bengals. The total is at 48 and a half. The Cincinnati Bengals are favored by five and a half. And the implied point total is 21 and a half for the Raiders and 27 for Cincinnati. So talk to me a little bit about how you'd like to play this game this weekend on DraftKings, especially um, building lineups and, and anything else. So my favorite way to play this game is with Joe Burrow. It's very easy because it's such a consolidated offense. And my three favorite guys to target with Burrow when I'm rotating my double stacks are Mixon, Chase, and Higgins. And I, I feel like I stress this over and over on the big tilt. Like Tyler Boyd, he's, he's a fine player. He's going to get you some fantasy points. However, you generally don't want these, especially with, I mean, there's so many powerhouse offenses on this slate. And if Tyler Boyd is getting there, what's he... What's he doing? Nine for 80 and a touchdown, right? That he, his A dot is so low. He's getting about half the air yards, if not less per game than Higgins and Chase. So that's why usually it's not that I fully fade him and go, there's absolutely no Boyd. There's no chance. Yes. We saw him catch a deep touchdown a couple weeks back, but in general, his role is not DFS conducive. So I'm really rolling with Chase and Higgins that are basically just begging for a hundred or more air yards every game. Mixed in the last few games, 17% target share. My goodness. If you want to stack a running back with a quarterback, that's a really good one. So that's kind of my, my core. And then from there, I'm branching out to the Raiders. Do you have anything to add on the, the Bengals side of it before we move on? Are you a CJ Yuzma, Yuzoma? I still don't know how to say his name. One day I'll learn the, the CJU name. Any, anyone there that else that's striking your eye or your favorite stack with Burrow? Not 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 exactly on Uzoma. I think you just got to stick with the guys you trust, which is T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. We saw last time uh, T. Higgins and Jamar Chase played against the Raiders. Chase went three for thirty-two in a touchdown. Boyd six for forty-nine. P, uh, Higgins was actually pretty quiet in this game, but I think that you're going to see a lot of Brandon face on against T. Higgins. Face on is ranked seventy-seventh in the cornerback rankings right now. And if you backtrack to this game in Week Eleven, it was actually sixteen thirteen Bengals. Up until five minutes left in the game, and then that's when the Raider or the Bengals scored two touchdowns and a field goal, one thirty-two thirteen. I think this is going to be a good game. I think it's going to be a lot higher, higher scoring than that sixteen thirteen until the the late touchdowns happen. Um, but I think you just stick with your Chase and your Higgins in this game because what we know in the playoffs is targets consolidate, and the offensive line is going to be a big thing that I'm afraid of for the Bengals. But again, I think Chase Higgins. That's where I'm staying in this game with the Bengals. Yeah, and I think I have to say, giving you credit here, you mentioned Zay Jones multiple times over a year ago, it seemed like you were like, hey, just so everyone knows, 
just gonna give it a second. I don't know. Do you hear that? We got. I tell people this. It seems like every three weeks, I live next to a fire department. There's a fire apparently. I hear a little sirens in the background. The mic's pretty good. It's gonna be quiet. Don't worry about it. Just let the fire happen. They'll put it out. Anyway, you've been on that Zay Jones train for a while where you're like, you know what? It's not that you love Zay Jones necessarily. You're like, this is a phenomenal talent. But, I mean, the guy has carved himself out a pretty good role at the expense of Brian Edwards. And I think this might shock people. Kind of at the expense, too, of Hunter Renfro. The last three weeks, Zay Jones, he's running more routes. He's commanding significantly more targets than Renfro. And if you look at Renfro and you're just a, if you're a fantasy point scout, you go, oh, Renfro's just, look at those fantasy points. Oh, delicious. And then you realize that little Hunter Renfro has four touchdowns in his past three games. And that he's basically like a, like a Mike Evans with his fantasy production. Except that Mike Evans is 6'5", catching passes from Tom Brady. And Hunter Renfro is built like a crushed up milk carton. And he's what, 5'8", 5'9"? The guy looks like me. You, you don't want me to rely on someone like me for touchdowns. So I think that at similar uh, ownership projections, why not just go with the guy that's so much cheaper? When Zay Jones, if you look on DraftKings, he's 4K. When Renfro's around 6K, you go to FanDuel, Renfro's priced up at 7,300. Zay Jones still down there at 5,300. It just feels to me like Zay Jones is a much better play if you're trying to run it back. Obviously, Waller's going to be pretty chalk. You have to cram in the guy that was the, the Raiders' target leader after missing, what, five, six weeks? He comes back, gets nine targets. Yep. So I think that if we're looking at the, the receiving cores, you, you kind of want Zay Jones over Renfro, as crazy as that sounds. I'd have to agree on that 100%. The toughest thing is that he's likely going to be on Shadobia Wuzie, who locked him up in the first matchup when he had 74% target share or uh, snap share. Um, but if you look at the targets for Zay Jones, the seven games before that Cincinnati game in Week 11 had 13 targets. The seven games since that Cincinnati game in Week 11, 54 targets. And he's had air yard shares of 95 air yards, 157, 128, 108, 98, the upside's there. This guy's playing in that rugs, that Nelson Aguilar role. And what you just said, how the price you're getting him at, 4000 on DraftKings, below Renfro, below Boyd. I, I'd take Zay Jones $600 cheaper than Boyd. I would play Zay Jones in that. Um, the other guy, like you mentioned, Darren Waller, had a 100-yard game against the Bengals last time out. I think him being healthy, that's only going to benefit them. And I feel I, I would assume, and my feeling is that Renfro is likely going to be the chalk just because of how he kind of ended the season and how he's been playing. Now we're in the playoffs. You're thinking he's going to be the target guy. I think Waller might be that target guy, and I think you're going to see some deep shots to Zay Jones. Yeah, if I'm stacking up Carr, which I'm probably not going to stack up Carr much. My 150 lineups might have like two two Carr stacks for fun, but I think my my default stacks actually going to be Zay Jones, Darren Waller. And that that's where the targets have gone recently. And then I'm, I'm also saving money too, so I can pay up for a Mixon or a Chase or a Higgins if we drop down to Zay Jones. One other thing I'll mention, Josh Jacobs, the receiving role has shrunk recently. Jalen Richard is back. However, I don't know if that matters too much. I see a lot of people making a big deal about it, but Jacobs is getting like 20 carries a game the last few weeks. And I think that that alone is enough, especially on a small slate. There's just not that many running back options. He's averaging 23 carries and 108 rushing yards those last three games. So yes, the routes are down, but if you see people panicking and they're like, you can't play Jacobs because of the routes, I would just say, you know what? That's fine. I'm just going to rely on the guy who's getting all the goal line carries and who they're just force feeding touches. 
And one one more thing, let me ask you. So I know that the, the Raiders, very, very good team at getting pressure without blitzing too many guys. Not, not the strength of the, the Bengals offense, not necessarily their O-line. Do you have any concerns that sort of, I mean, Herbert still had a productive game this, this past week, but I mean, it seemed like every single play, Max Crosby was in his face, hurrying him, hitting him. Do you have any concerns with Burrow, the knee, Max Crosby, this fairly like surprisingly dominant Vegas pass rush? Yeah, I'm not worried so much about the knee with Burrow. I think kind of that little hiccup that he had at the end of that last game was more so just like, ooh, kind of a stinger. He's fine. He's going to play. He's going to be just okay. My problem is more so with these tackles. These tackles have given up the third most sacks in the NFL this year. And of course, what you just said, Max Crosby has been not likely, but the most underrated defensive end in the NFL all season had 10 pressures in the fourth quarter there against the Chargers to really clinch it for the Raiders and get them in. You saw that it's him and Gawkway, Quentin Jefferson, Cleland Farrell's even playing little D tackle. Um, and they lost Darius Phylon, which is going to hurt them. Uh, I think he had a fractured patellar, but uh, the Raiders' defensive line is what's going to make the Raiders win this game. If the Raiders win, it's going to be because of this defensive line, because they're getting to Burrow, because they sack him six, seven, eight times. And to be honest, they're one of the hottest teams in this entire playoffs, and they're looked at as, what, they've got the second worst odds to, to win the Super Bowl, I think it is, at plus uh, 6,000, uh, Steelers plus 9,000. They're tied with the Eagles at plus 6,000 as well. Um, nobody believes in them, but they're one of the hottest teams right now because of this defensive line unit, and that happens to be what Cincinnati's probably worst at is the tackle position. So that does worry me um, for Burrow, not as much if it does, you know, it's going to probably what benefit Boyd and Mixon the most, but I still trust it. I still think Chase and Higgins are going to get theirs. Um, but yeah, that's it's a tough one though because in the playoffs we know everything changes, things consolidate, and that's really when the trenches matter. And that's where I'm kind of worried is just with the Raiders' uh, defensive line and the Bengals' tackles, man. Yeah, I, I totally agree. One note though, yes, if if it is just a total mismatch and Boyd's getting force-fed targets. Sure, he could get there in DFS. However, Burrow's probably not getting there. So I think I'm actually, I might even play a good amount of Boyd not with Burrow and kind of thinking that if Boyd's hitting the the mismatch is, is like playing a real effect in this game and that you can sneak in Boyd PPR monster for DraftKings and that if he gets you 10 catches for 70 yards, sneaks in the end zone, that suddenly... He, he can be a real piece in uh, whatever non-Burrow stack you have in that. I think that's, in many ways, kind of how I would utilize that type of player on this slate. Agreed, agreed. Let's jump into the second game here. We got the Buffalo Bills hosting a playoff game with fans. The Bills Mafia is going to be out in full force hosting the New England Patriots. New England Patriots... And Buffalo Bills have played twice this season, obviously. The one in the snowstorm a couple weeks ago, and now in Buffalo. The total's 44. Buffalo's favored by four. The implied point total is New England 20, Buffalo 24. I think this one, again, I talked to you before the stream started. There's a snowstorm coming in. Are you worried at all about this thing being version one, what we already saw this year on Monday Night Football? Just a boring game. Are you worried at all about that? So I am actually, I put out a Twitter thread earlier this week, breaking down each game in some detail, kind of as a, a, like a prelude to this show. And 
what I mentioned was I'm not I'm not just gonna fade any game and say oh like I can guarantee you this game is gonna be bad. No, I'm not. I'm I'm not all seeing, all knowing. However, if there was a game that I'm gonna try and be a little below the field on, the game that I am quote fading and just playing less of is this game. It's for multiple reasons. One, the weather. Yeah, you. When you're when you're stacking up Josh Allen, you're doing it because the guy is a cannon, and you're hoping for a really pass-heavy attack. However, if it's really bad weather, Josh Allen is also one of the most mobile quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, we we saw him get it done against the Falcons a couple weeks back, where they beat the Falcons. I believe it was 29-15, and I don't think Josh Allen had a touchdown pass in that game. Multiple picks, but he still got it done for fantasy in many ways, just via rushing the ball, which doesn't help us in DFS. You never want to take a Josh Allen, who's the most expensive quarterback on the slate, and leave him naked. Very hard to construct a lineup that way. So if I'm when I when I'm stacking this game, I'm gonna have to assume that the weather is a little bit overblown. But then we run into the other problem, which is that I mean, how awkward is it in DFS when you're stacking up because Mac Jones, let's be honest, probably not gonna be the optimal quarterback with just this gauntlet of Mahomes, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Tom Brady, Stafford, Kyler Murray. There's probably others I'm forgetting. Like Dak Prescott, literally every quarterback is pretty much a stud aside from like Mac Jones when it comes to the ability to throw for 303 or get it done on the ground. And that leaves you with what? You're, You're stacking up Josh Allen. You run it back with Damian Harris, who kind of sneakily had 15 rushing touchdowns this year. But then you're kind of stacking it up and running it back with the running back on the team that's projected to lose. And now you have weird game script where you're basically assuming Vegas is wrong anytime you build a lineup. So those are kind of the reasons that I'm not just avoiding it, but why I think that this is kind of a a tough game to play actually for DFS. So let's jump into this side of it is this winter storm Izzy is not supposed to hit Buffalo, New York until late Sunday. So I think you're going to be good with that. I don't think the storm's going to hit. The one matchup I do like in this, in the passing side of it, is Gabe Davis. I think Gabe Davis is probably the only angle I'm going to take on this whole game. Like you said, I'm staying away in most cases. But I think Gabe Davis's matchup with Joan Williams, we saw Jalen Mills got COVID just two days ago, so he's in the COVID IR. It looks like Emmanuel Sanders is a full participant this week in practice. But again, Gabe Davis has been the guy getting hotter and hotter all week. I think we've started to come around more on him as a company. Um, do you like Gabe Davis this week? Yeah, I do. I actually think it's nice that Sanders is practicing fully. I've seen some takes out there that Sanders is immediately going to slot right in and take over Davis's role. And I think Davis has just played too well. And a lot of my concerns with Davis centered around target share that he, he's always been a productive fantasy asset when on the field, but he just never committed targets. The guy had a 10% target share as a rookie. Uh, as you know, this year, like in, until Sanders went down, what was he getting? One, zero, two targets a game. But with Sanders down, Davis has consistently been commanding 20 plus percent of the targets. And you can't really do that by accident. And that was very encouraging to me that it wasn't Gabe Davis going sort of like, remember last year in week 17, when Davis had like three catches for a hundred yards and a touchdown and could kind of sneak into your DFS lineups. That's what I was afraid of is that he was going to be the low target guy where he's sort of a field stretcher and that he doesn't really feel like a proper uh, number two receiver in the NFL and that he's more of just stretching the field and nothing more. Well, now we've seen it for several weeks. 
Gabe Davis is really commanding targets. I don't think Sanders just hops in and takes that role. It's not like Sanders was playing amazingly uh, the, the final few weeks before his injury. He actually started off really hot and then has since uh, greatly faded prior to his injuries, then got injured. I, I think Sanders, the, the way I would see the peck order, it's digs, obviously. And then I think it's probably Gabe Davis, number two, then Beasley, then Knox, then Emmanuel Sanders. Knox hasn't been commanding targets much recently. Sanders coming back from injury. Beasley's been just fine, but Davis is out targeting Beasley, which is it's hard to do, especially with Beasley, a low A dot slot guy that Allen's very, very familiar with for the last few years. So all those signs for me point to very promising uh, DFS potential for Davis in this one. So if you rewind one season, it's, it's crazy just comparing him. If you go to player profile and you go to the Gabe Davis page, you can see his 2021 and 2020 season stats. Obviously, we've talked about this. The brand new player pages have been up for a couple months now, but it shows you the, the, the game logs, the season logs, and they are very eerily similar. 63 targets, 62, 35 receptions, 35, etc. for Gabe Davis. But when you scroll down and you see just how explosive he's been these last few weeks, and maybe it's not showing up exactly in the stat sheet, you know, 5 for 85 and two touchdowns against Carolina, but 242 air yards this last week against the Jets, 136 air yards against Carolina. That's exciting. And then when you pull up the 2021 playoffs and you look at the one game he had against the Colts in round one, Four receptions on four targets for 85 yards. That's exciting. Stephon Diggs, six receptions on nine targets, 128 yards. I know it's a different team. That was against the Colts. But I'm just saying, they trust him, and now he's kind of back to that. He hit that lull early in the year, and everyone was worried about him. They're like, oh, he's not the guy. But again, Emmanuel Sanders, Dawson Knox was a top 10 tight end. And now you're seeing Gabe Davis get more used in this offense. I think Josh Allen's starting to trust him again. We talked about this in the offseason. One of the things I liked about Gabe Davis is – this team has openly said, the coaches, the quarterback, the wide receivers, they've all said he's a dog, he can play, he's a stud, we like him. Now it's coming to fruition. He's actually getting the opportunities and doing something with it. So we saw him get used in the playoffs last year. Why not in the playoffs again this year? Um, is there any other sneaky spots you're playing in this Buffalo-New England game? So one thing I'll add to Gabe Davis is if you're purely box score watching, you're like, okay, he went 3 for 42 weeks ago, 3 for 39 last week. Remember, we we chase usage, not results. Yep. And we know Allen's a competent quarterback. Yeah, it's it's different if Sam Darnold is back there slinging it or Drew Locke. If it's if it's an erratic quarterback, then sure, we want more than just targets. We want production. But we know Josh Allen and what he can do. Gabe Davis, yeah, he had three for thirty nine against the Jets, but it was on fourteen targets. And that's what I'm talking about when I say I've seen the target share growth that ma- that now makes me a believer. The last thing I'll note is that Singletary is a plug-and-play bell cow. I can't say that loud enough. I don't know how he's outcompeted Zach Moss. I thought Zach Moss would be more the guy. It is not even just that Singletary's getting these between the 20s carries. Listen to this. The past three weeks, if we look at red zone carries and targets, Devin Singletary has 21 of them. In the past three weeks, 21 high-value touches. Zach Moss has one. Singletary has 21x the high value touches the last few weeks. Wow. Devin Singletary, the undersized slow running back who just happens to be kind of good at football. He is the guy. And at his price point, I think he's a really nice one-off play, kind of however you want. And then with the Patriots side, I think the only other guy I'll mention is I think Hunter Henry's kind of interesting. 
There's a lot of very strong, expensive options at tight end. He's significantly cheaper, and he has been commanding a decent target share recently, around 18% of targets the past few weeks. Even had that one big game where he had 70, he had over 70 receiving yards, two touchdowns. So we've seen Hunter Henry do it, and I think that if I'm not leaning on Damian Harris, that's probably the next guy up that I'd lean on because I think of Jacoby Myers like Tyler Boyd. You don't really want this empty calorie, like six for 50, probably not a touchdown from Jacoby Myers. So I like Hunter Henry if I'm not going with Damian Harris in this one. I like that. And another thing with Damian Harris is most carries inside the 10-yard line in 2021, he's third. Jonathan Taylor, number one, James Conner, 27, and Damian Harris, 27, tied for second right there uh, inside the 10-yard line for carries. Let's move to Sunday, though. We got Tampa Bay. We got Philadelphia in Tampa. The number's at 46.5, which to me seems a little low. Tampa's favored by 8.5. Implied point total, 18.7 for Philadelphia, 27.2 for Tampa. I've talked about the winter storm. I might I might drive down. I'm going to Tampa this weekend. I might drive down. I might go to this game. Who should I be looking for, Josh? So I think this is a really fun one because... I mean, we love Tom Brady. We love stacking Tom Brady. And, I mean, injuries suck. It's terrible what happened with Godwin. Antonio Brown, I hope he gets whatever help he needs. Will he ever play in the NFL again? I don't know. I drafted him in the 20th round of a dynasty startup last week. So, certainly hope so for for the sake of my budget. But on a serious note, this offense is very consolidated right now. It's basically, what are we looking at? Brady, Fournette, he's coming back. Big Mike Evans. We've got Gronk. And then what is it like Perriman, Tyler Johnson, yeah. Cyril Grayson yeah. has been ruled out. There's a lot of guys that are kind of in this complimentary role, but it's really hard to see if Tom Brady hits, how do you not have two of Fournette, Evans, Gronk hitting as well? So that's why Tom Brady probably going to be my highest exposure quarterback on this slate is that it's just, it's too easy to, to stack him up. And uh, I'll, I'll mention with Mike Evans, the reason that my favorite double stack would be Brady, Fournette, Gronk, Eagles total sieve against tight ends. This year, the, the Eagles have allowed 106 catches for 1,033 yards and 13 touchdowns to tight ends. That is ridiculous. Fire up Gronk. Leonard Fournette, he's back. He's the bell cow. He's cheap on, on both platforms. He's just grossly mispriced for what he can give you. And then Mike Evans is going up against Slay. 24 routes against Slay in week six, four targets, two catches, 27 yards. Not a lot of noise there. We know that Evans can struggle at times against these premier cornerbacks. How has Slay done overall this year? Because that's a small sample. That's one game. Evans struggled. What What is Slay's body of work looking like for this entire season? Right now and all season, Slay has been a top 10 cornerback on the cornerback rankings. You can find those on Player Profiler. Slay's been dominating. There's only been you know, a couple guys that really gave him a headache, and it was Terry McLaurin on four receptions, 86 yards, which you get that with speed. And then Mike Williams was the only other guy that gave him a little bit of an issue, and he had 86 yards. But everybody else has been completely locked down, completely held in check. Amari Cooper, DJ Moore, you're talking Cortland Sutton, Kenny Galladay, Elijah Moore. And he got his rematch with Terry McLaurin last week, shot him down again. And he actually played against Mike Evans in week six. 93% snap share, three receptions allowed on five targets, and 35 yards. 
I think he's going to end up shutting down Mike Evans again. Like I said, Darius Slay is a top five corner. This is going to be a big game for him. I believe it's his first playoff game ever because he's been playing with Detroit forever and then he just got traded to Philly a couple years ago. So I, th- I believe it's his first or second playoff game ever. Um, the other matchup in this game at cornerback, Avante Maddox. Oh, before we move on from before we move on from Slay, I'll also mention the dude's pissed yeah. off. He's been taken to social media. The guy didn't get all pro. What do you get? He only got one all pro vote. And he was like, look at me. I had three yeah. defensive touchdowns. I mean, I, I, I don't watch the film like you do. You know, he's a top 10 cornerback. All I know is that defensive touchdowns are fluky. So if he wanted to make his case, he should say that I've been top 10 in Cody's cornerback <laughs> rankings all season, because why, why should we care about three fluke plays as why his entire body of work for this year is so important. So I'll mention the, the guy's pissed off. He wants to prove it. So very interesting matchup with Evan Slay. All right, we'll we'll move off Slay now. The the, <laughs> the only thing I other wanted to mention other than that, obviously we talked about Slay. He's dominant, but I think one of the most underrated guys in the secondary for Philadelphia is Avante Maddox playing the slot, and he's going to end up probably on Tyler Johnson for the majority of this game. I think where Tampa can take advantage of Philadelphia in the passing game. Not that I'm assuming they're going to pass a lot. I think they're going to run a lot with Fournette and Keyshawn Vaughn, but. I think Brashad Perriman is going to be a mismatch for Steven Nelson. Steven Nelson uh, comes in with 4.49 speed. He's 29 years old. He's getting up there. He's only 5'10. Perriman's over 6'2. And Steven Nelson has been the guy that can get beat early and often in these games. Cam Sims this this year, Keenan Allen, Brian Edwards have all exceeded 50 yards receiving on Steven Nelson. So I think the guy you play, and he's got the number. Uh, what is it? Number seven matchup this week is Brashad Perriman playing against number 66 overall, Steven Nelson. And I think when you go over to DraftKings, Brashad Perriman's right there at 4,700. Um, so he is 700 bucks more than Tyler Johnson, but I, I really like Brashad Perriman this week. Yeah, I think with Perriman, if you're going to play him, you yeah, you can play him on DraftKings, but I think his FanDuel price is phenomenal because he's only 5,200 on FanDuel. And we kind of know the player that Perriman is. That's a half PPR platform. And that's sort of going to benefit the the field stretcher like a Perriman where if he gets in the end zone and has three catches for 80 yards, that's much more impactful on FanDuel than on DraftKings. So I think not a not a bad price necessarily on DraftKings, but especially on FanDuel, that's just a very good price. On the Eagles side, Miles Sanders is back. I'm excited. I think he's played well all year. I think he's just, just so many unfortunate circumstances. They somehow what I think the Eagles have more rushing touchdowns than any other team in the league yet they're starting running back Miles Sanders no rushing touchdowns yet very unfortunate for him I think they're I think he could definitely get in the box but I mean this Buccaneers front seven very ferocious and I actually think if you're going with Hertz I, I like the idea potentially of a double stack with him Smith and Goddard we haven't really seen these guys hit necessarily yet this year but in DFS, we're chasing slim outcomes with high upside. And all season, Smith and Goddard have been around the 20-plus percent target share range for most of these games. And because it's so consolidated, if the run game is failing, the Buccaneers are blowing out the Eagles like Vegas, and I think we kind of expect that the Buccaneers are most likely to win this one, I could really see 40, 45 pass attempts where... 50, 60% of them go to Smith and Goddard and that at their price point, especially on uh, DraftKings, like you can just throw both in. Smith's only 5,500 on DraftKings. Goddard's only 4,500. 
So right there, that's 10K. It's basically like the price of Cooper Cup. And then you get Devonta Smith and Goddard who could each rack up 10 targets of their own. So I think that's a, an interesting way to play this is I don't think anyone's ever going to double stack Hurts yet. I mean, we've seen him throw for 300 yards on multiple occasions. We know the two guys that have the super high target shares in this offense. So I think that's kind of a contrarian way to play this one is you can do that, run it back with Fournette or maybe Fournette Evans, Fournette Gronk, Fournette Perriman, anything like that. But I think very little of the field is going to do Hurts with anything more than either naked or a skinny stack. There's a thing I came up with like earlier in the season that I didn't follow through with, and that was when Gronk is healthy, you play Gronk. You just have to on premise. Gronk's healthy, you play Gronk, especially attached to Tom in the playoffs. Tom, uh, Gronk's going to be a guy I'm going to play a lot of. Um, his number is 59 and a half receiving yards. But the other one I wanted to say was you're talking about the Eagles, Jalen Hurts. His number's up to 253 and a half total yards. I want to say you got this one. Do you remember offhand? Was it 240 and a half earlier this week? I got it. It was 240-something. It was in the 240s. was taking those overs. And and now it's up. I think I'd still take that 253 over. This offense goes through Hurts, and I don't think the Eagles' defense is strong enough to just fully shut down the Buccaneers. So that's kind of my my idea behind taking that over is that I, I know I like the unders, but really hard to see the Eagles having any shot at a potential winning game plan with Hurts not going kind of nuclear, at least with the yardage, where high a dot on his pass attempts a lot of running around because it's a pretty decent pass rush so i like that over yeah tampa leads the nfl in total pressures 219 as a team miami was second with 193 so they led the league by uh 26 pressures on the season which is a a huge number and that's only going to benefit when you think about it when the pass rush comes the quarterback runs jalen hurts in cash, he had 10 carries against Tampa the first time they matched up this season. 10 carries for 44 yards and two rushing touchdowns. Not one, but two rushing touchdowns. He did have a pretty porous passing game, but um, Tampa Bay did get back Carlton Davis. It looks like Jamel Dean and uh, Murphy Bunting will all be back this week at corner. But again, we've seen Carlton Davis get burned. And if Quez Watkins matches up on Carlton Davis at any time, We've seen what can happen. You remember last year when uh, Tariq Hill went for 200 in one quarter on Carlton Davis. So you never know what Carlton Davis is going to show up, uh, if it's the lockdown or if it's the guy that's just deceived. So um, I think this is a fun game to play. But again, like you said, Jalen Hurts, I think he's the number one guy I'm playing. And then if I do run it back with anybody, it's going to be Brashad Perriman. But um, I really like where your head's at with this one. Let's move on. Yeah, I don't think I have anything more to add other than uh, you just have to jam Lenny in. I don't care. If people are like, oh, is he going to get the full workload? Ronald Jones is out. Gio Bernard also returning from injury. So it's not like Bernard has the upper hand. I I like Keyshawn Vaughn, but do I think that in any way they're going to trust Keyshawn Vaughn in the playoffs when we saw what happened last year when they rode Lenny in the playoffs and it seems like he's going to be 100% go? I don't think you should have any question in your mind. You're getting a sub 6K on DraftKings bell cow who I think is very, if not the most likely guy to have the the most fantasy points on the slate at running back. Yet his price tag's nowhere near the top. So Fournette, you just have to be cramming him in in this matchup. I like that. And that's that's a pretty low number, especially with Ron out. I think Fournette back, if he's fully healthy, it's going to be very beneficial. But before we move on to this next game, we do have one question in the chat. And for those people that are playing in the Scott Fishbowl Playoff Challenge, the FFPC Playoff Challenge, whatever it may be, this one might occur to you. 
Bucks defense or Patriots defense, uh, Josh, where would you lean in that one? Bucks defense or Patriots defense for the entirety of the playoffs? We got a question from the chat in that. Bucks defense or Patriots defense? I would go Bucks defense just because if we look at a lot of the projections for rough number of games played, the Patriots are projected to play uh, not a lot of games because they're not favored in their first matchup. They're on the road at Buffalo. The Buccaneers, yeah, sure, maybe it's not as good of a unit, but they're home. They're they're favored by over eight points against the Eagles. They're most likely getting out of the first round. They're the number two seed, so they're going to have home field advantage guaranteed in the second round of the playoffs as well. So I think the, the Bucs are actually really well set up for a deep run, whereas the Patriots are already f- swimming upstream. So sure, you might get some fantasy points if there's some bad weather or something or Josh Allen struggles, but... It's just such an uphill battle that I think one for one, I have to go Bucks on this one. I like it. I like it. I have to agree. Just based on, I think the Bucks play more games, than I, and I think you're going to get more points out of that pass rush. Um, let's move on to the Sunday evening game, San Francisco at Dallas. This one will obviously be in Jerry World, in the Dome, no weather. The number is 51 over under. Dallas favored by three. The implied point total is 24 for San Francisco and 27 for Dallas. This is the highest total point out of the six. And yesterday I was listening to the FanDuel head bookkeeper, head matchmaker, whatever you want to call him, and he said San Francisco was the one team, the one team that most sports books need to win the Super Bowl because that's where the least money's at. The least money in all the playoffs is on San Francisco. The San Francisco wins the Super Bowl. The books win a lot of money. That's the way it is. They said, I think they said the Packers and Titans have the most money on them. Um, but what do you think about San Francisco? Do you think they have what it takes to pull this upset? So it's funny that you say that because I, as someone that spends a good amount of time on fantasy Twitter, fantasy Twitter will let you know that the 49ers are pretty much guaranteed to get this upset. And I, th- I think the Cowboys win. I I think this is, good. This is definitely going to be a close game. I think the spread reflects that. The, the Niners are a very talented team. But I think the issue with the Niners is that their weakest position, quarterback, also happens to be the most important. Yep. And we saw Jimmy G make it to the Super Bowl a couple years back, but that was also uh, a few years ago. We we have a lot more footage on Jimmy G now. That was kind of early Garoppolo as a starter. We've had two more years of data now, two more years of film where teams can look at Garoppolo. And I think at this point, they kind of know what they need to do to limit him. So in this game... Very little Garoppolo I'm going to play. He's just kind of a gross quarterback. It's probably a more run-heavy game plan. And I'm really looking at this from the DAC angle because the Niners' run defense is elite. They They are very, very good. It's top three run defense. So I think that right there kind of sets up nicely where people just don't love the Cowboys because what's tough about stacking them is that it's not super consolidated. As someone that plays fairly high volume, that is generally something that I'll lean into where I go, oh, you don't want to try and figure out which two of Lamb, Cooper, Wilson, Schultz, Zeke Pollard, or whatever it is, get there. It's okay. I'll do a lot of those combinations and figure it out. So I think that this is one where I'm mostly going on the DAC route. However, I do think that it is a tough game for DFS because of how many combos I think you probably need to go through to feel confident that you may have gotten it right. Because if Dak hits and you make four lineups, you're not going to be very confident that you got the the proper double stack. So I think this one is more, I would say you should reserve this for the more high volume DFS players, just because 
At least with Dak, it's really difficult to know who's going to hit. With Garoppolo, I guess technically it's easier because you're you're probably just picking two of Ayuk, Debo, and Kittle. But I just don't really see the the Jimmy G stack paying off. So that's why I think high volume, you go Dak stacks, you rotate through a ton of guys. And if you're not playing high volume, I think you just kind of little skin correlation. You go Debo with Cooper, Debo, Lamb, that type of stuff. So I think that this is actually kind of a tough game for the the single entry type DFS players. I'd agree on that. I think um, I would attack it from a different angle then. Like you're saying no DFS. So what's that usually mean? It means you can go after it from a different angle. And I think the angle might be the props. Juwan Jennings, I like him a lot this week against Anthony Brown. Obviously, you got Trayvon Diggs. He's likely to be on Brandon Ayuk for the majority of the game. Jordan Lewis, a little bit on Debo. And that leaves Anthony Brown, the lowest-rated cornerback on this team, number 84 overall. He gets Jawan Jennings. And we've seen him give up 30-plus, 40-plus yards to a lot of receivers that maybe we don't respect as much. Demarcus Robinson, over 40. Zay, we talked about him earlier, over 30. Traquan, over 50. Antoine Wesley, over 30 receiving yards. Like These guys that are mediocre, middle of the line. And we saw what Jawan Jennings did last week. Why can't he do it again against Anthony Brown? He's got that connection. He's got that rapport now with Jimmy. And I believe his numbers in the 20s, what was it, at 26 and a half still. I think Juwan Jennings at 26 and a half. That's probably one of my favorite lines this week overall on underdog. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I like that. I, I hadn't even thought about that. I've we, we've Cody and I have talked kind of off air about this a few times where my specialty is kind of with the, the main players and just immediately knowing when a line feels too high. I like those unders. I feel like Cody's specialty is taking the overs on the lesser known players Hey, that's some really good insight. I'm going to take that Juwan Jennings over right now. I'm sold because, I mean, if, if there's one thing that Kyle Shanahan, I think, is okay at, he does make pretty decent offensive game plans. He, I'm sure he's aware of this or someone on his staff's aware of this. So, yeah, we'll take that over. I think with this game, it's a little disappointing. I'll just reveal it because it's paywalled, but it's changed now. I was telling, and why, kind of why you want to be part of our DFS Dominator, a few of the lines I was t- telling our subscribers to pound yesterday, one of them was Amari Cooper was at 69.5 receiving yards. Very high line for kind of a boomer bust receiver. That has now dropped to 60.5 on underdog. So a good reason to be part of that and subscribe to that is that we're generally identifying the lines that are going to move. Told you to hit Mike Evans, take that under. His line has dropped precipitously. Gronk, we uh, we were like, oh, you should take the over on Gronk. Gronk's line has now climbed from yesterday. So a lot of good stuff in there. Juwan Jennings still looks like an exploitable line. 26 and a half on underdog. I like it. I like it. I think I'm happy to move on with this one if you are. And that leaves us with the Sunday night football game this week. And that would leave us with Pittsburgh at Kansas City. The total is 46 and Kansas City's favored by a whopping 12.5, or to Ben Roethlisberger, it might as well be 40. Implied point total, 16.7 for Pittsburgh, 29.2 for Kansas City. Are you buying into this Ben Roethlisberger stuff, or do you think that's just a big old fugaze, and he's trying to get the media to run with it, which I think they did, and then Najee, of course, puts his IGs. Like, what the hell's going on here? I think this is an inside ploy. I think they game-planned this little uh, media stunt here just to get Kansas City a little warmed up with this 12-and-a-half point. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think what I think this is just... It's not a great game to play in TFS. Yeah. It's it's not one I'm totally avoiding, but 
we kind of saw what happened the last time these teams faced. It's not like any of the players are putting up terrible lines, but when when there's just only strong offenses for the most part on this slate, and we know that Kansas City, they're, they're sitting pretty. They're the two seed. They've got a lot of home field advantage going on. They just don't really need to to pound the Steelers into the ground in this one. They're, they're going to win super handily. So, yes, I'm going to be stacking up some Mahomes. Might even throw a little Big Ben in there potentially just to be super contrarian because everyone hates the Steelers. But overall, I think this is just a little bit of a tough one because, I mean, what, what you're basically hoping for is that the Steelers are, in fact, similarly good to the Chiefs to make this kind of a shootout. And I just... I really don't think the Steelers match up well. So do you think Daryl Williams is probably the play of the week? He's sitting here, 5,500, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire ruled out. Pittsburgh has given up the third most rushing yards the last three games, 156 on the ground. Is Daryl probably the one guy you would play if you were going to kind of just sprinkle in one guy? So you know what's funny is you, you weren't even on this email chain between me and Aaron, our social media guy, but we we're, we finished up our, our player profiler newsletter and my, my skinny correlation of the week, it's a free newsletter for player profile that you should check out. My skinny correlation of the week was actually Daryl Williams and Deontay Johnson. Damn. I think that's where a lot of the action in this game is going. And that's actually, yes, I'm going to have the Mahomes stacks. I'm not an idiot. I'm not just going to say full fade, maybe the most talented quarterback in history. But I think that the best way to play this is terrible run defense for the Steelers. Daryl Williams is just a total bell cow when CEH doesn't play. He's been ruled out. And Deontay Johnson, target magnet, the team that's projected to lose by nearly two touchdowns. Fire up some Deontay Johnson. And I will say, on underdog, Deontay Johnson sitting at 60 and a half receiving yards right now. I think he's going to go over that. He hasn't been over that number recently, but for almost the entire season, he was just sitting well over that. And the playoffs, generally, teams are relying on their studs. Very hard to see. You know, obviously, every playoff game must win. Really tough to see Big Ben not just hammering Deontay over and over and over and over again. Because the Chiefs are very strong at limiting the big plays. And that kind of works against someone like Claypool. So, I'm all over that Daryl Williams-Deontay Johnson correlation. And let's not forget, I know it's very, very ugly, and you're probably not going to ever play it, but for those of the guys playing 150 lineups like I know Josh is, Derek Gore is very ugly, but if you backtrack to this Pittsburgh Steelers game earlier in the season, in the third quarter it was 30 to nothing. Kansas City Chiefs. Clyde did play in this game. Clyde had nine carries, a touchdown, 27 yards, but Derek Gore had 12 carries for 40 yards, and Derek Gore had three receptions for 61 yards, and he's at the stone on DraftKings at 4,000. So if you need one of those guys just to jam in there, if you got a loaded lineup, and I know it's ugly. I'm not even vouching for it. I'm just saying, if you want to get ugly and you really think this game's going to be just like it was last time, 30 nothing, and Kansas City's going to be running the ball for the entire second half, you could do a lot worse than Derek Gore in a high-powered Kansas City offense that's just going to run it out for, for two quarters. I like that. And I think I'll give you another, everyone, another gross play in a second. So I think my favorite way to play this is I'll just lean into Tyreek Hill in the heel, not fully healthy because I mean, the guy isn't fully healthy. I'm not going to avoid Tyreek Hill stacks, but I do think the best way to play this in terms of like the highest percentage of having a good lineup is the double stack of Mahomes, Daryl Williams, Travis Ooh. Kelsey, or Travis Kels, I guess is we've all been, we've been saying it wrong. Travis, I'm sorry, Travis Kels. And the reason for that is 
yeah, the, people are going to play a lot of Mahomes. People are going to play a lot of Kelsey because of Hill, like I mentioned. If you want to basically play the high probability that Tyreek Hill does not have a boom game because of his heel, yet you don't want your lineup to be duplicated constantly, throw in Daryl Williams. People just hate stacking the quarterback and the running back. And I'm pretty sure I remember when Daryl Williams had over 100 receiving yards a few weeks back in relief of CEH. Daryl Williams is actually not a very good runner, but a more than adequate receiver out of the backfield. So good that just even in games that he and CEH have played together, he generally has more targets than him. So if you thought CEH was a decent receiving back prospect coming out of college, well, Daryl Williams has just been outproducing him through the air. So I think Mahomes, Daryl, Kelsey. And if you want the the run back, no one's going to play. There's actually a, a Tyler Boyd or Jacoby Myers of the East. I guess Jacoby... You know what? That didn't even make any sense. Jacoby Myers on the East Coast. What am I talking about? It's Ray Ray McLeod. There's the gross guy. Mid Midwest. Yeah. So Ray Ray McLeod, the last three games, believe it or not, the guy has more targets and more receiving yards than Claypool. And Claypool has 67 air yards a game the last three games. McLeod is 57. So similar air yards... More targets for McLeod. McLeod's really dirt cheap. And even red zone usage. The edge, believe it or not, is McLeod. The last three games, 1.3 red zone targets a game for Claypool. 2.3 red zone targets a game for McLeod. What is going on? Ray Ray McLeod is getting red zone usage. He's over a 20% target share the last few weeks. At 3,700, I... You're going to have to save salary somewhere at times. Most of your lineups will need one kind of gross player. If you're not going Derek Gore, Ray Ray McLeod is another one where, hey, you, you can't you can't do much better than the guy that has a pretty strong floor in PPR where if he catches a touchdown, I mean, boom, if you get 16 points from Ray Ray McLeod, oh, you're you're high-fiving yourself. So there, there's the gross play because it's obvious, Harris, good play. There's just so few... Uh, running backs on the slate in general so whichever guy has two touchdowns is a solid play it could be Harris but you want the the random guy Ray Ray McLeod there you go it's another guy on the opposite side of the ball Kansas City going against Akello Weatherspoon number 54 in the cornerback rankings right in the middle there is the Kansas City version of Ray Ray McLeod which is Byron Pringle since that Pittsburgh game in week 16 uh in that game Byron Pringle six for 75 and two touchdowns 80 air yards 38 air yards uh, two weeks ago and 67 in this last week. Byron Pringle's another guy right above Ray Ray McLeod, 3,900 on DraftKings in comparison to Ray Ray McLeod, 3,700. So right in that same region, if you want to go the opposite direction, Byron Pringle's there. What do you think about Byron Pringle? So he's someone that I was actually going to mention as well because if we, we're under the premise Tyree Kill's not 100% healthy, kind of the last time that we saw this where Hill just tried to gut it out and was playing limited snaps was when Byron Pringle had his eruption with two touchdowns, a lot of receiving yards. And that came when Hill, I believe Hill was playing around 40% of the snaps that game. We could very well see that scenario where the Chiefs go, wow, look at that spread, 12 and a half. Yeah, we're probably going to beat the Steelers. Why do we need Tyreek Hill re-injuring himself when our full intention is a deep playoff run? And Byron Pringle has been more than serviceable in his absence. So I think that's another interesting way is Daryl Williams, Pringle, or Pringle, Kels, two other interesting double stacks to mix in. You're going to have Tyreek Hill in some of your stacks, but I think that's one way you can kind of lean into the the likely scenario that Tyreek Hill is not 100% healthy. I will also note 
during the regular season. You can't do this both because of salary and the large slate where it's really difficult for two expensive guys to hit. I think this is probably the first slate of the year where I'm confident that Mahomes, Hill, Kels is a viable double stack. Their prices have come down. Tyreek's only 7,100. I think the world's kind of assuming he's injured. So I think the an interesting way to play this as well is, hey, I'm going to load up on Chiefs. I think Hill, even if he's not 100%, can get there at 7,100. Kels, 6,700. And I, I don't think too many people are going to play that much Chief where they go the, basically the three most expensive players from that offense. So there's a few different stacks for you to consider that may be a little different since I think too many people are just going to play Mahomes, Hill, Mahomes, Kels, and just kind of leave it from there and say, all right, Jesus, take the wheel, throw in some non-Chiefs. And you say, no, 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 we're putting a double stack in at all times for the Chiefs. And just before we wrap it up out of this team, out of this game, just to bounce it back to the newsletter, like you said, the skinny stack, Daryl Williams and Deontay Johnson. Just on Daryl on Darryl Williams, I wanted to mention one thing. I don't know if we've ever seen a team before, the Pittsburgh Steelers, lead the league in sacks with 55 by four and also be the worst in the league in rushing against Pittsburgh. 146 yards allowed per game, 164 yards allowed on the ground on the road in 2021. The worst rush defense and the best pass rush, arguably, in the NFL. The stats are there. Darrell Williams, Deontay Johnson, play it. That's your skinny stack. Um... That's what it is. We'll go move on to Monday night football, though. Another rematch, just like New England and Buffalo. Third time's a charm. Arizona Cardinals at the Los Angeles Rams. 49.5 total inside the Dome, inside SoFi, in Los Angeles, on the turf. Rams are favored by four. No, Cardinals favored by four. Cardinals are favored by four. No, Rams favored by four. Damn, I messed that up again. (laughs) <laughs> Rams are favored by four. Implied point total is Arizona 22.7 and Rams 26.7. My apologies on that one. Out of all the six games, what do you think about this one? So this is the game I'm going to play the most of. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's the game that I'm most excited to watch or anything like that, though I think it's going to be a fun one. But what I like about this is that both teams, competent quarterbacks, close spread. I think the difference between this And the Niners-Dallas game is that, yeah, that's a close spread. However, those offenses, at least uh, the Dallas offense, really not consolidated. And do we really want to stack up a lot of Jimmy G? Probably not. That's why you you move to this game. And it's like, wow, I like stacking up Kyler Murray. I like stacking up Matthew Stafford. The spread is pretty close. Second highest Vegas implied point total combined on the slate. It's pretty good. Kyler Murray is at a season low on DraftKings for his price. The guy's down to 7,200. Yet, without DeAndre Hopkins, the usage is there. He's averaging over 40 pass attempts a game and five and a half rush attempts a game without Hopkins. And you might say, oh, Hopkins is needed. This is gross. And let me remind you the Justin Fields experience. I got it one, I was one week early, but what I was saying with Justin Fields is that you have to play this guy a little bit in DFS because yes, he's giving you six fantasy points a game. It feels disgusting, but if he's going to be running eight times a game and throwing the ball 30 plus times a game, that profile with that type of talented player, if it hits, it hits big. 
And then one week after that, Fields had 30 fantasy points on DraftKings. And I think that's the kind of thing that we could see here with Kyler, where people count him out and they're like, oh, I don't know about the weapons. Forgetting that if he's dropping back and he's passing that much, he's running that much. This is the recipe for fantasy point success. So I'm really excited about Kyler. I think the the obvious one is you just go Kyler. If you're, if you're stacking him, Kyler, Ertz, and Kirk are kind of the main guys. The last three games, Ertz is getting this whopping 28% target share. He's getting 85 air yards a game in that span and nearly two red zone targets a game. I mean, Zach Ertz is just a really nice pay down at the tight end option to throw in and correlate with Kyler. And then Christian Kirk's just the, the boomer bust receiver that we love for DFS. He's hovering around a 20% target share the last few weeks, getting a similar amount of air yards to Ertz, though we know that he's a much more explosive playmaker. So I think that's kind of my favorite way on the, the Cardinal side is you throw those two in. A little bit concerned to play too much of either running back. I'm just afraid it's going to be a gross running back split with neither running back fully healthy. Maybe even Eno Benjamin's mixing in and it's a three-way share of the touches. Do you have a read at all on these uh, Cardinals running backs or are you also mainly going Cardinals pass attack on that end? Yeah, I'm leaning pass attack just because I don't think either way, like I think Cam Akers is going to get enough run. But when I went to that game and watched Sony Michelle run against the Vikings, that zone offense, I think Sony's going to get a great amount of run in this game. I think they're going to ease Cam in as they need him, but I think he's definitely going to get enough, which makes me not want to play either. And then when you look at Arizona, it's the same thing. James Conner's coming back. He's probably going to be even more healthy. And Chase Edmonds looks great. But which one are you going to go? You, I, I I don't trust either way with any of these four running backs. So I would lean with the passing game. And then the question mark with Christian Kirk for me is in the first game this year, you lined up on Jalen Ramsey, only had one reception on one target. The second game, he lined up on David Long, three for 86 with 130 air yards. That would be like the, the one guy on Arizona that I have interest in, but I think he's going to be locked up on Ramsey again. Um, but I, I just, I don't love this game too much, to be honest with you. That's fair. You know what? You can save this one for me. This will be this will be just be my game. No one else is allowed to play NFC West at this point. And I'll mention something about SoFi. What a beautiful stadium. I don't get to catch too many football games. Pretty busy during the season. Made it up to SoFi. I caught that big upset when the Titans wrecked Stafford. It was kind of like when we when we finally saw like chips in the armor and Stafford looked kind of impervious. Looked like an MVP front runner. And the next thing you know, like. The guy's just throwing picks left and right against what we all kind of thought was the worst of, or second worst secondary in the NFL with the Titans. Very nice stadium. It's not technically 100% indoors. However, it plays like it's a full dome. Yes, you get a little bit of airflow up top. However, on the field, there's pretty much no wind whatsoever. So that's kind of another thing I like about this game is that the, the passing attacks are going to have no inhibitions. If we switch it over now to the Rams side, Stafford has been struggling. It's okay. We're, we're playing DFS. We're not, if we're taking player props, sure. If Stafford's player props close to 300 yards, you can maybe hit the under. But we're playing DFS. We want the, the narrow outcomes. We know what Stafford has done through the air. If you're going with Stafford, you almost have to go with Cup. I mean, how do we see Stafford hitting in DFS if Cup has six fantasy points? Very unlikely. Cup is getting over a 30% target share in this offense on the season. It's been very consistent with OBJ, with Woods, without this guy, without that guy, this guy, that guy, whether Michelle is the lead back, Henderson the lead back. 
Cup is just always over 30% of the targets. It's basically the, the combined target shares of OBJ and Van Jefferson equal Cups. And I'm not even exaggerating. It's within 1%. I actually think Cup might even have the season-long edge, if anything, where he gets the little half 1% edge. So you have to play Cup with Stafford. If you're going to leave Cup out, that's very contrarian. So if you want to be, if you're playing anything that's kind of large field, maybe you leave Cup out on that premise, but I think you're kind of overthinking it. I think Michelle is an okay stacking partner with Stafford just because we've seen both of them hit in multiple games this year. But I really like Cup, and then you pick one of OBJ, Van Jefferson, Higby. I mean, Higby's actually had more targets than both OBJ and Van Jefferson recently. That's kind of crazy. So I think Cup, Higby's kind of a fun one. Where then you get the the tight end thrown in. You don't have to worry about rolling the dice on tight end. You keep it correlated. But we have some interesting notes from Mr. Carpentier. Talk to us about these these OBJ and Van Jefferson cornerback matchups when they're lined out lined up on the outside. Yeah, um, that's a question I'm going to bounce back to you after I finish through this. But I have Antonio Hamilton 87th in the cornerback rankings and Marco Wilson 91. Now Marco Wilson matched up on Odell Beckham in the first matchup. He's the only guy this year not to really, really take advantage of Marco Wilson since he was healthy. Three receptions, eight yards on five targets from Odell Beckham against Marco Wilson in that Week 14 game. The matchups differed, though. Back in Week 4, when Marco Wilson was matched up on Van Jefferson for the majority of the game, Van Jefferson took advantage of him. Six receptions, 90 yards, and a touchdown. Van Jefferson is, what, $200 cheaper than $400 cheaper than Odell Beckham this week. I like Van Jefferson more in this game. Robert Alford's not going to be playing in this one. I got Robert Alford out and Marco Wilson lined up on Odell Beckham. It's going to be a tough one, but I think I lean more towards Van Jefferson on Antonio Hamilton. I don't know why Van Jefferson can't have one of those boom games where he catches a deep ball, you know, 60-yard touchdown, whatever it may be, 73, 66, and 30 air yards the last three weeks. Meh, it's not nice, not beautiful. Not cute, but 4,700 on DraftKings. I like Van Jefferson over Odell Beckham at 5,100. And Cooper Cup's going to get his, but the matchup with Byron Murphy is going to be tough. But that's why I think Van Jefferson is going to get his opportunity. He's going to get a deep shot. Odell Beckham had that one last week. Obviously, everyone saw Ombre Thomas pick it off for San Francisco to really seal that game. Does that lose trust between Stafford and Odell, that long interception that he threw last week? Does he go back to Van Jefferson on the deep ball? I think he does. Do you think he does? I'm just leaving that for dramatic pause. Uh, We'll see. I'm actually going to play a little bit more OBJ just because a little higher target share. But I think I'm, I mean, I'm definitely mixing in Van Jefferson. I like that some people are afraid he's going to get benched again. I don't think they're going to bench Van Jefferson. You you don't want to be playing with guys' minds and rotating guys in and out during the playoffs. Generally not the formula for success. And that if you're benching guys in the playoffs, there's a good chance you've already lost this playoff game. So I think Van Jefferson's going to be running the routes. He's definitely going to be in my mix. Slight preference for OBJ personally, just because of the target share. But I mean, the the air yards have been going more to Van Jefferson than than Odell. A little bit strange in terms of the actual A dot of Beckham at times on the Rams. I, I talked about this a little bit earlier in the week where it's almost like, yeah, Stafford, huge quarterback upgrade from golf, but then they kind of shelter him and they go, oh, we don't, you don't always need to throw the ball downfield. It's okay. Oh, you like Cooper Cup? Great. We've always spread the ball out historically in these McVay offenses, but no, 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 it's okay. Stafford, you can just throw 33% of your passes to Cooper Cup. 
You don't need to be processing. We're going to make it easy for you. And yeah, it's been a super efficient connection with Stafford Cup, but I think just in terms of a real football sense, it's a little interesting that they would lean on such a predictable passing attack. I know it's been efficient, but you'd think when you have what should be a significant upgrade in Stafford that you'd open up the offense and you wouldn't necessarily consolidate the target share so heavily just to one guy. And that you'd say, all right, we're going to have multiple guys in that 20 plus percent target share zone. And we just haven't seen Odell creep up into that zone. Van Jefferson's never really been that high target share guy. So all in all, though, I think this is, this will be my favorite game. So I'll flag plant. I'll go with this one. I don't know if you have a game that you're going to say like, this is for sure the game I'm playing the most of, but I'll flag plant it. I'm going to play the most of this game. And you notice throughout, I always was talking about the double stacks. And there's a couple reasons for that. So one reason, you need fewer things to get right. If I'm double stacking a game, right there, that's three of nine slots in DFS already filled up. Versus if you're like, oh, I'm going to play Hurts naked. Okay. You now have eight more lineup decisions to make. And if I go, oh, hey, I'm going to, we're going to go Stafford, Cup, Van Jefferson. We're going to run it back with Christian Kirk and Zach Ertz. That is now five of nine. Over half of my lineup has been created. And we know exactly what that game looks like where all of them are hitting together. And also it's a small slate. There's only six games. And these are usually better suited to the the heavier, more aggressive stacking. Because if you think about a really big slate where there's 13 games on it, if you put five players from one game into that lineup, What you're saying is that this game is going to be so much higher scoring than the other 12 or 13 games out there. And that's a pretty tall ask. But with only six games, if you're playing the full weekend slate, which I think is just a lot of fun to have some stake in the game for a three-day period, that if you're doing the big big six-game slate, and I say I'm flag planting that this is going to be the high-scoring game, I only need five. It's not like I need 12, 13 games to be lower scoring. I only need five games to not have 60, 70, 80 points scored. So that's kind of my reasoning behind why I like to double stack and why I think if you're going to onslaught a few games that this is a a fairly good slate based on the size to do it. So Cody, flag plant, which game do you think you're going to have the most exposure to out of these six? I think it's probably got to be it's probably got to be that, I don't know, the Chiefs-Steelers game maybe just because I think I want to lean into Daryl, but I think my favorite game is probably going to end up being Raiders-Bengals where I can play more of these guys. I don't know. I really just like Zay. I like playing Chase and Higgins. I think that's probably going to be where I line up the most. I did want to ask you one question, though, because you just talked about the Rams and the Cardinals being one of your favorite games. we got a question in the chat, and we haven't talked about him yet, so that's going to be on us. Why is no one talking about Antoine Wesley? He is one of the cheapest receivers on both formats, and he's gotten eight, four, five, and four targets the last four games. He's a starting receiver for the Arizona Cardinals. Jalen Ragger's the cheapest at 3,100 for the starting wide receivers on DraftKings. Wesley, 3,300. And then on, on FanDuel, Wesley is 5,200 in comparison to Quez, 51, Edwards, 51. Quickly, what do you think about Antoine Wesley? Are you going to have him in any of your stacks with the Cardinals, Los Angeles Rams as being your favorite game? I'll have some Wesley in there. Yeah. We probably should have mentioned him a little sooner. He, he's he been in my, my stack rotation with Kyler the last uh, two weeks now. I just don't have too many thoughts on him. He's not a super talented receiver. He's on a good offense, which is nice. He's cheap. So I think I more just expect that naturally he'll sneak into some of your lineups based on price. But 
I don't have any strong takes on Wesley. Uh, it's it's sort of the typical like just a guy on a good offense type of scenario where we saw him catch two touchdowns the other week with very few receiving yards. I think it's I think the most likely outcome is, and actually like not even just most likely, but like I think like nine out of ten games Wesley gets you like three to seven fantasy points, and I think you're threading the needle a little bit if you focus your Cardinal stack on him thinking you're going to get another two touchdown performance. So I'll have him in a couple stacks to save salary to get different. But the, my main focal point with stacks will be the Ertz and Kirk and then AJ Green. I think that core three right there. Uh, let me see. I think I have the notes up somewhere on what percent. Yeah. So the last three games, no more Hopkins, Ertz, Kirk and Green are combining for 62% of Kyler's pass attempts. So I think right there, it's pretty consolidated in that those are the three that I'm most comfortable centering my my stacks around for DFS. Do you have, you have any other thoughts on the, the very tall but very skinny Antoine Wesley? No, I don't have very <laughs> many thoughts other than the fact that he's 3,300 and it's going to be just like that Derek Gore thing. It's ugly, but again, if you're threading the needle and you have 3,300 bucks or 3,400 bucks left on DraftKings, especially because he's so cheap, that's going to be your guy. I'm going to play him over a Jalen Ragger, just over a James Washington, just because he's 6'4". It's a little bit of a mismatch there. He's not going to be lined up on Jalen Ramsey because he's Antoine Wesley. And, I mean, we saw a 20-point fantasy game out of him, uh, four for 30 and two touchdowns against Dallas. Like, he can do it. It's not pretty. It's not awesome. But, again, if you're threading the needle, you're not going to be playing him in a lot. But sprinkle a little bit on Antoine Wesley. I don't love it. I don't hate it. But with that, I want to do the upset pick of the week. We just talked about him. Who's your upset pick of the week? So this might not sound like an upset pick of the week because I'm just going to go. We'll just go with it. Cooper Cup, I mean, this is the Rams offense. If they want to beat the Cardinals, they go through Cooper Cup. I think Cooper Cup's going to have 175 or more receiving yards in this matchup. I think it's going to be kind of an ugly high-scoring game. I'm seeing multiple turnovers in my crystal ball for both teams. And then, whoa, 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 one second. Wow, I almost burned my eyes on the crystal ball. Got too close. And what I'm seeing right now is J.J. Watt returns and has a critical strip sack on the final drive to win it for Arizona 28-24 to over the Rams. The Cardinals sneak out of that very intense divisional matchup. Cody, what's the, what's the crystal ball saying for you? Any Any potential upsets this week? I love that JJ Watt call, just that return. It's just he's so like so dramatic and anticlimactic. Like everything's just with JJ Watt, it always just seems so so surreal. You know, remember when he was back in Houston and he had those I think they played that one playoff game and he was all crying and stuff about it. But my upset pick of the week, and maybe if you're following the player profiler Twitter account at player profiler at Roto Wonderworld, you would have seen this one. I got the Raiders in the Super Bowl. I got the Raiders over the Bengals this week. Max Crosby, Yannick Ngakwe, Quentin Jefferson. I talked about it before. Darius Phylon is out. Broken patellar tendon. This is a mismatch. This is a mismatch for the Bengals tackles and guards. Crosby led the NFL in pressures. The Bengals are third in sacks allowed. The Bengals are built to win a title, but not this year. Last year, they ignored the offensive line in the offseason, and they didn't spend anything in draft capital on uh, the offensive line. Jackson Carmen really has been disappointing. Riley Reef disappointing. And this game right here is going to be what pushes them over the edge to spend money, to go out and draft and to protect Joey B Raiders, 27 Bengals, 23, the Raiders 
will advance to divisional round. That's the show. That was good. That was fun. I'll answer one more question from the chat. Jay Peters, shout out Jay. He's a good guy, Patreon guy. He says, FanDuel, SE, smaller field. Who's your favorite quarterback, Josh? What's SE? I don't know what SE is. What's what FDSE? Is that FanDuel, small single, entry? Oh, single entry. Smaller field? FanDuel, single, single entry, entry smaller field, favorite quarterback. All right, let me, let me take a second. We'll do this real time. I don't play single entry because I just like combinations of players. I'm always I'm I feel like that's how I am with DFS with player props, best ball. I like to be a volume guy, and yeah. that I'm not necessarily the the person who's so confident. And this is this is for sure the way it's going to work. So I know Cody does a little more single entry. He might even be a better person than I am for this. I, let me pull. I'm up like that's like a, one of the big things that I play in the uh, during the regular season. I think you you like to max enter and, and make a lot of lineups. I like to stick with like that one entry. I've been leaning more towards that later and later on, but it's always been just Jalen Hurts just because of those legs. I love Jalen Hurts. Kind of gives you the same feeling Kyler Murray might, but like I talked about earlier, you got Jalen Hurts against this Tampa front that's gonna pressure, gonna pressure. He had two rushing touchdowns the last time they played. I think Jalen's just going to have to run. He's going to have to put the team and the game on his back if Philly's going to have any kind of chance. That's the guy I would just – I just want that guy that's going to lead the team, and that's Jalen – for me, that's Jalen Hurts every time. Yeah, so I'm thinking about it. If I have one entry, the combination I'm the most confident can hit, it would be – I would go Brady, and I would do the, the Brady-Fournette-Gronk stack. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident that if any of the big three skill players – doesn't hit this week. It's going to be Evans with Slay matched up. Eagles, top 10 fantasy points allowed for the running backs. And Gronk, just the absolute dream matchup, as I mentioned earlier. Over 100 catches, over 1,000 yards, and 13 touchdowns allowed to tight ends from the Eagles. So I think that would just be my high percentage single entry because I would just start there and then maybe mix in Smith or Goddard on the Eagles side and, and just kind of go from there. So I think that would be if I had to do like my most confident, it was between that and Burrow, just because Burrow, it's he's too easy to stack in terms of Chase and Higgins. But I'm just, I'm very confident in the Eagle, or I'm very confident that the, the Buccaneers score on the Eagles. And like Cody mentioned, I'm just not quite as confident that the, the Bengals have a massive passing day against what should be a, a really strong Raiders pass rush. There we go. Appreciate you guys in the chat for sticking with us. The answer is Tom Brady from Josh. A little bit of Burrow maybe, some Gronkowski. For me, it's Hurts. Probably going to Goddard. Um, but that's where I'm going in those. For everybody else, appreciate you guys sticking with us. I'll be back in an hour and a half, or actually a half an hour, with Andy Milnick on the future cast talking some college football. So if you want to jump off, jump back on in a half an hour, you're welcome to do that. But for me, you can find me on Twitter at CarpentierNFL. Josh. Jay Larky tweets on Twitter. Jay Larky TikToks on TikTok. Thank you, everyone.
Gotta plug the TikTok. All right. <laughs> Peace out, everyone. Thank you again. <laughs>